Greetings, people of planet Earth. Welcome to episode 7 of Diversify. Holly here, as per. Just a quick announcement to let you know we are nearing the end of season 1. I can almost hear the gasps of dismay from the future. But fear not... This episode is our last interview of the season, but Kate and I will be back for one more episode to round off the season on a diversifying high. Not to mention, we'll be back next year, before you know it, for season two. Bigger, bolder, more badass, even more diverse! But this penultimate episode is definitely one of our finest, and to celebrate, we're starting it slightly differently. So get ready for a fiery four-minute opener to this episode with the utterly remarkable, I'm a bit obsessed with him, Kamari Romeo. I was just a kid, raised on ill manners, not much bigger than this audience. The applause is just raised much bigger than myself, as seen right before a spoken run. As a young one, mum would sit me in front of the television while she was making home runs like a baseball player with blurred vision, squared eyes squinting, except she made every base but never in here, never in her own home. I watched Kano and Channel U spit more lessons on life than mum ever could or ever bothered to do. Sometimes I find it hard to connect So forgive me if I come across as timid Livid But I'm just testing the boundaries Of respect to my limits When I walk off stage I'm just human like you, see? My anime eyes, big smile and cartoon-esque height Are just caricatures that overshadow the person inside of me Because, because I'm angry I'm angry because my life isn't as compact as the disc you tried to burn me onto. You tell me I will burn eternally if I don't repent internally of the sin you say I firmly commit to and present externally. I'm angry because every time I came to the God you told me was going to change my life, time after time, you turned around and gave me one more reason not to fight. You're not doing it right. Let me provide some more insight. You see, when you have a choice between death and being yourself. The latter only makes sense. It makes sense that you help yourself. But when the sense that you try to make sense of stop making sense, I guarantee you there's a brother or sister in Christ preaching death. Because there are one or two of you that would happily add oil to the fire and then take a step back to avoid burning yourself. You're not ready for hell, but I am. I know this doesn't apply to everyone, but can you be open enough to say I have? Maybe then we can start moving forward with the main goal that is God's plan. If that's what you really came here for, then let us all stand confident in the fact that we're securing something much deeper than casual sex and yellow hands. Cause I'm rolling. Deeper than any song Adele has wrapped her soul in. Inhaling sulfates. Cause I hate the fact that you think you know me. Nobody's born gay. Disgust. Strip me down to my underwear. Disgust. No conferring. Look at my androgynous body and tell me who you think I should fuck to please God. Because when you saw me with my clothes on, you thought you knew what was up, mouth shut. I'll ask you up front. You're telling me blunt that you think you need to, uh, I need to pray about. I'll, I'll just talk to her. Tell me what God says if you know him so well. Don't look left and right. 
Ain't no optician's light shining on your optical nerve, yet you have the nerve to tell me I don't deserve a place of rest. Through all the shit that I've been through, from people like you, through all the stress that I've had to endure. Because I'm the perverse being that was a victim of abuse, two fingers in too soon, a father on the loose or a mother on the booze, because that made me gay. Tell me, and I'd be intrigued to know how these experiences made you straight. Far away, time's a waste. I need to send a message to the children and teens out there attempting to take their own lives. I need to let them know that this is not a gay or even a LGBTQILMN or P issue. It's just an issue, full stop. So what are you doing to help me realize my potential in Christ? No conferring. You're losing time. Welcome to Diversify. I am Holly. And I'm Kate. And that was Burn by the spoken word artist Kramer, otherwise known as... Kamari Romeo. Oh yeah, and Kamari is our current guest in the studio that is my living room. (laughs) So Kamari, welcome to Diversify. Thank you very much. Kamari is a fantastic actor, writer, producer, other adjectives? Creative. There you go, the umbrella term. <laughs> Creative professional, multi-hyphenate, superstar, human. Kamari, what drew you to spoken word as an outlet for your creativity? So I've kind of been performing since I was 12, 13, mainly within theatre, but I found at a time when I started to become quite frustrated with theatre, spoken word poetry was... A different outlet for me. I kind of sometimes incorporate music, sometimes don't, but it was just a way to get my feelings out in a different way to sort of performing on stage. Why um, was theatre um, frustrating you? I think uh, theatre's come a long way even since I was a child and there's a lot more representation now of sort of black artists, of trans artists and so I think as at the time I wasn't seeing people like me on stage and that became quite frustrating and all those kind of dreams you have for yourself you think well, maybe it's not that possible. And then at the same time, you've got your family on your back saying, get a real job, do something that's actually going to sustain you. So after a while, you kind of get in your head a little bit. And I, I don't think I sort of necessarily saw spoken word as a, as a outlet that would make me money per se, but it was just a different way of expressing myself. And yeah, it just fulfilled me in a different way. I'd imagine it's something that you have full control over as well, whereas if you're hired as a performer for somebody else's work then you have to do whatever it is they're asking you to do whereas if you're writing especially that's where you do what you need to do most definitely even in terms of so drafting things some of the poems i've written i would have redrafted over two three years um not necessarily every day but again like you you know you're sort of having complete creative freedom writing at two three o'clock in the morning it's just a different way Sometimes we just need outlets that aren't about our career and making money. It's just about expressing ourselves. I'm under no illusions that doing a podcast is going to make me a millionaire, but I just got fed up of the way the world was going and really wanted to be able to talk about it in a positive and uplifting way. And you have full creativity. When it's all finished and you can like say, this was entirely me, this is my words, this is my what I want to say, then it's there's something really nice about that and... When we leave this world, it's nice to know that even if only 50 people or 50,000 people heard it, you left behind something that was just you and just you in the way that you want to be remembered. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I agree with that. And I feel like it's very interesting, although theatre now, and I hate the word, is a lot more diverse. 
and gives artists a lot more creative freedom. It still kind of feels like it needs to be packaged to fit theatres and funding bodies. Like, there's still certain restrictions creatively, and I feel like you kind of need to sell your story under that, within that sort of package, for it to be seen or heard. So again, yeah, I think that's why writing was a lot more cathartic for me. I think even without diversity, I mean, I'm a... (laughs) I'm a white middle class actress and I, I needed to do the same thing and take some time to write for various magazines and all that sort of stuff. So I think lots of people that do lots of different things, they have a different need to people that are just actors. I think people want outlets. So you're seeing this big explosion of creativity from people who are part-time journalists but full-time bankers or full-time executives or full-time retail salespeople. Part-time PAs with an art blog. Yeah, totally. Mm. Or or people who just want to talk about their experience of being a mother or being a feminist or being a young man dealing with mental health issues. You, you've suddenly got this explosion with the internet along with all the vitriol that comes with the trials and everything. You've all of a sudden got these people who never thought that they could be artistic Mm -hmm. going hold on a second I could just buy a microphone and record something or I could just start a blog Mm. and I I guess most human beings on a sliding scale are artistic I mean that's what separates us from I want to say what separates us from animals but I think maybe it is storytelling and art is is one of the things that does separate us from animals and we should probably get someone who knows about animals no certainly storytelling is but if you've ever seen an elephant with a paintbrush and me with a paintbrush (laughs) you'll be able to say that the elephant is probably far superior So me and Kamari had a chat the other day about being a minority in the arts and how it can sometimes be about box ticking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was making a joke that you are so many boxes. I am. You are a black, gay, transgender... Disabled. Disabled. Male, though, at least. There's some privilege in there. And we were kind of laughing about that, how you can become, a lot of the time, the token. Um, You're our first transgender guest. Way. Hopefully first of many. And we were wondering if you could just tell us what being transgender means to you, because obviously it's such a wide umbrella term for so many people. But what does it mean to you to call yourself trans? To me, I identify as male. Um, I was born female, and my journey has kind of been going on for about six years now. But transgender as a whole, I think, definitely means different things to different people. Some people choose to medically transition, some do not. I have quite a binary view of my genders, um, whereas some people fit in the middle, some people don't feel like anything. Um, So can I just clarify, that's you saying you very firmly identify as a male. I was born female, I identify as male. That's right, yeah. And it's like, it's interesting, you hear the whole born in the wrong body term come up when people sort of explain their identity. And I wouldn't say I necessarily use that phrase to describe my experience. I've had a lot of sort of work I've had to do on myself and learning to love myself despite all the hate and although I'm not comfortable in this body I believe everything happens for a reason and I'm even with the body that I have I'm on a journey to sort of loving myself which has been a process and you know like you're saying sort of ticking boxes when you get so much hate or so much discrimination from different direction it's really hard but that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. It's all a journey to self-love, isn't it? Maybe born with the wrong gender label assigned to you, but that doesn't mean that your body isn't yours to love. I understand being born in the wrong body because I think it's a really easy thing to empathise for people who just don't get what transgender is. And some people genuinely feel that, and and, uh, I, I don't dispute that at all, but just in terms of how I express my journey and where I'm at now. 
And you probably get asked this quite a lot, but was there a moment when you realised that you were trans or wanted to make that journey? Or was it kind of a gradual process? Um, that's a good question. I sort of realised when I was about 17. How old are you now? 26. I don't look it, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, neither do I. Me and Kamari actually met when we were doing a... It was only about two or three years ago, but we were doing a show playing 15 and 16-year-olds yeah. with some much younger people, some people who were about 17, actually, 15, 18. 16. Yeah. <laughs> and we did not look any older than most of them. Yeah. What was that show? Elemental by Ricky Beadle Blair. Ah. The legend that is. The Ricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I was roughly 17, and before that, I think from the age of 15, 15, 16, I was going to LGBT youth group. With the LGBT youth group, was mm. it just you kind of exploring who you were or did you have a different identity that you were...? Interestingly, like, the word transgender wasn't a word in my vocabulary previous to joining that youth group. I always thought it was something to do with my sexual orientation and initially that's why I joined. I thought, maybe I'm a lesbian and that label didn't fit. I thought, maybe I'm bisexual and that label didn't fit. And, you know, through that youth group and having sort of therapy alongside that, coming to terms with well this is what transgender is and me sort of thinking I think that's what I am sort of going on that journey of again talking through it and exploring why I feel that all the experiences previous to that that have led me to this point and um, not to say that I hadn't heard the word transgender before but in terms of how I could express my identity when I finally heard that word everything just fell into place everything made sense and I knew what I had to do but at the same time my world kind of came crashing down and it was a very difficult time. Yeah, and it's been, it's been a crazy journey and a lot of things have happened, but um, so I kind of settled on this is, this is why I am and in order to feel happy, I'm going to have to make some changes. I think so often when you have an identity that is not straight, cisgender, mm. everything gets politicised and it becomes about the gay lobby, the trans lobby, this, this and this. And people just forget that at the end of the day, we're just people Mm. who want to be happy. Mm. And so as a black person, you want to be able to walk down the street without being discriminated against. As a lesbian, I want to be able to walk down the street without being discriminated against. As a woman, we want to be able to walk down the street and... And at the end of the day, we all just want to be happy. And we I thought you were going to say at the end of the day, we all just want to walk down the street. At the end of the day, we all want to walk down <laughs> the street. How, how ableist of me. I love the way you phrase that. Like, in order to be happy, I need to make some changes. Because everyone can relate to that. I need to change something in my life in order to be happy. And that's as simple as it should be. Yeah, and some people only have something small. Like, in order to be happy, I need to make... Cut sure. my hair. Yeah, or I need to make sure that I allow myself to go to the cinema once a week and have a long bath and... Get a puppy. Do not let my girlfriend hear you say that. (laughs) Um, Whereas for other people, it's in order to be happy, I need to make a massive change. Mm -hmm. Or in order to be happy, I need to figure out exactly who I am. Mm. But I think, interestingly, my journey discovering my sexuality has been the hardest thing in comparison to figuring out my gender. And I'd say now I still identify as bisexual, but... Sorry, I totally miss... Uh, I thought you identified as gay, so... This is another complex thing which I'm still, I guess, still coming to terms with. Um, I'm in a gay relationship, but my attractions to both males and females are mutual. But I think within our LGBT community, there's a lot of discrimination and there's still a lot of ignorance and there's still a lot of... There's a lot of stuff going on. And so I'm happy to disclose certain parts of me to the people that matter. But it's, yeah, it's been interesting and for a lot of reasons I'm always, I always feel like I have to choose. As in between 
gay and straight. Whether it's sexuality, whether it's what type of creative I am. You can only do acting or you can only do producing. Like, what if I want to do both? So I kind of, I think, I don't fit in a lot of things, but I'm just learning to embrace that and accept it for what it is. And I don't hide that if people ask, I'm quite open. But at the same time, in terms of protecting my mental health, I don't need to necessarily share with people all the time. And going through that journey has, I think, improved my mental health um, in a lot of ways. We've talked about that before, haven't we, about the idea that it's your responsibility to educate yourself on certain things and being asked the same questions over and over and over again can really affect someone's uh, mental health and anyone has the right to say, no, Google it. (laughs) Totally, particularly as transgender people have been around since people have been around but we're only now really talking about it and it's really interesting I refer to myself as cisgender and for people who don't know cisgender is not transgender so basically cisgender 101 would be I was born in the sex that aligns with my gender identity Mm -hmm. and a lot of people a lot of cisgender people get really upset being called cis because it's like well no I'm not cis I'm I'm just a woman and I'm like yeah that's like straight people don't like it when they're called heterosexual or heteronormative because they just like to think of themselves as the canvas the blank canvas canvas. white people don't like being called white because we're not that group we are the canvas i think it's really interesting when you try and talk to people about it and they go well explain to me explain to me no fucking do your own googling (laughs) so we like to ask stupid questions on this show do you know so that other people don't have to ask stupid questions and annoy you. I've tried to think of some stupid questions, but I'm pretty sure that you're going to have stupider questions that you've been asked. Here's my stupid questions. What is trans? I think, I mean, I'm not sure what you're going to ask next, but a lot of these questions can be solved with a simple Google search. Um, mm, exactly. Trans is, it doesn't look or sound or feel like one thing, but I guess technically speaking, I'd be classed as a transsexual because I've started a medical transition, although I'm still transgender, so not identifying with the sex that I was born with. Transsexual, to me, sounds like a very clinical term. I just prefer to say I am transgender, and if you have further questions, please ask them, but respectfully. Excellent. And what would you say to someone who said, do you have to be gay to be trans? Like, what does that mean? Like, no, but you can be gay and trans, you can be uh, straight and trans, you can be pansexual, bisexual, um, sexuality and gender are two different things. So a lot of the time, I think people over a certain age have trouble understanding that. I don't lose any sleep over those questions, to be honest with you, but I try to um, educate people in the best way that I can. But I think a lot of the time it's easier just to explain my identity rather than speaking on behalf of a whole group of people because it's going to be different. Do you get a lot of people trying to basically make you speak on behalf of everybody, as if trans people are one homogenous group, not this massive umbrella? Yes, I think that comes out of ignorance, though. I've noticed that speaking to people over a certain age, it just doesn't compute, just whether it's culturally or it's just a different time that they've lived in and how gender and sexuality has been expressed in the time that they've grown up. But yeah, it's, it's just different. I've just thought of a really stupid question, which comes from a question that isn't that stupid. But I'm going to ask the stupid one because that's the whole point of this, okay? okay? Why do you prefer living as a man than a woman? I'm so sorry. I felt... (laughs) (laughs) Let me try and break it down in the most simplest way. Um, I grew up in the church and, as I said in the beginning, sort of explored 
what my sexuality was a sort of a means to not being so unhappy. I was really depressed, like I'd literally cry all the time. Um, and I've kind of dealt with sort of self-harm since the age of 11, 26 now, and I haven't self-harmed for, I think, a year and a half, two years. Um, so it's a long time. And in church, in the black church, being told I'm sinning or more extreme, it's a demon. Um, I've had exorcism performed on me at the age of 13. Growing up within the church, you hear all these things, and if you hear them for long enough, you kind of believe them to be true. I thought something was wrong with me. At one particular church, I spoke to the pastor there, and I kind of confessed to him that I was trans, and said basically, what should I do? It either comes down to two things. It's either I kill myself and go to hell, or I live this life and I go to hell. Which path do you believe I should go down? And he didn't really have an answer for me. And I think from that point, again, another sort of cycle of figuring out what my identity is in a different way in relation to my spirituality, which is such a... I mean, the suicide rate amongst trans people is just ridiculous. Yeah. We have a lot going on, whether it's um, communities, youth groups, support groups, projects, work opportunities for trans people, but as a participant in a lot of these things, I'm usually, like, the only one black trans person in that group. So it's like, although I feel a lot of white trans people are accessing a lot of things and are loads of really amazing, great work, somehow the BME trans community, I wouldn't say is getting left behind, but it's not a part of this. There's still a lot of things going on and I feel, I guess as a producer, it's my job to be a gatekeeper for different minority communities. And that's what I hope to do because I wasn't seeing these things being done. So I was like, well, I'll do it myself. Um, And I'm just at the beginning of that journey, but with that knowledge and perspective, I hope to use my knowledge and hard work to create different projects within the industry and and make the industry richer in a different way, in an authentically diverse way. But I still hate hate that word. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're on a podcast called Diversify. (laughs) So, my stupid questions weren't stupid enough. (laughs) Do you have any stupid questions that people ask you? Ugh. are hilarious and we're not going to bother answering but what not to ask a trans person Mm. um have you had the surgery none of your fucking business (laughs) which one like first of all the surgery you know the one that all of us have on the same day where you go into Um, a big pod and come out (laughs) entirely different human being doctor who (laughs) again not all trans people need surgery to be trans but none of your fucking business um you wouldn't go up to somebody that you didn't know and immediately start asking them about their sex life. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. Um, Unless you're on Tinder. Or if you were like, <laughs> can I just ask, do you have low-hanging labia? Like, I'm not going to sleep with that person. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, yeah. If you're interested, no. <laughs> just don't ask that. I feel if we're close enough, you will hear my story. And it's really annoying. I'm the sort of person, like, I don't always have things to say in the moment. Um, oh, but... <laughs> But, um, yeah, like, I, I sometimes I kind of envision, like, people asking me, like, oh, so what do you have down there? Like, well, you tell me first. Like, what do you have down there? What's it look like? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you want to know so bad? I just find that really creepy. Any other stupid questions? Any other stupid oh, questions? Oh, yeah. God, I could go on for years. Um, what was your name before? People love that one. Again? Why do you need to know? That's called dead naming, right? When it you, is, yeah. When you refer to somebody as the name that they have decided to give up, it's called dead naming. Mm. Because it's not their name anymore and it's disrespectful. Yeah, I feel with that question, it never needs to be answered. It doesn't come from a caring place, uh, that question. Where do you think 
that question comes from? People curious to imagine, envision the identity you were before and kind of, I guess, judge, put you on a scale of how well you're doing as a passing transgender person. Do you pass? How well do you pass? How far have you gone in this journey to pass? It's really interesting because kind of you have childhood friends and then colleagues that you meet along the way. And one time I got fed up last year and I just came out to everyone on Facebook because I just wanted everyone to know and I just... I felt like with some people I couldn't talk about it and others and it's just my circles were intertwining and I was like, yeah. So yeah, I just came out on Facebook and um, it's interesting, some people were like, they would like pick out features, your voice is like this, or really random things, I'm like, that's not... Why are you saying that? Why, why are you saying that? Um, yeah, so I find, I find that interesting, but um, it never comes from a place of love, so I, I never really answer those questions because it's just about disrespectful curiosity is, is really. it quite similar to that annoying question when people go but where are you actually from <laughs> yeah actually <laughs> yeah. yeah i almost feel like it's implying that your identity is not your real identity yeah so like where are you actually from still from london no but you're not really english yeah. it's the same as like what was your name before because i think that's the real you which yeah. is just incredibly disrespectful and ignorant which is interesting because kind of a question that sinks in with that is what's your real name and it's like well people change their names for a lot of reasons did it feel like a big deal when you change your name did it feel like a real step no it was big i've actually changed my name twice the first name was it was a name from the bible although it was a kind of gender neutral name i won't say what it is but um i had what this time i was still in the church and people were upset that i'd given myself a name from the bible having been transgender and gone through transition. And there was a lot of pressure was put on me. And I was like, fuck this, I don't need this. And actually, I was kind of kicking myself a little bit because I'd wish I'd picked a more masculine name. And so with my dad, we went through a list of names and finally came to Kamari, which means moonlight in Swahili. It's also, I think, got a Hindu translation and it's a term of endearment in Greece. Um, so it's an international name. You mentioned that you sat with your dad and, and went through names. Mm -hmm. It seems like there was quite a huge amount of support there for you. Is that right? Or was it a difficult process as well? Um, I have a really good relationship with my dad, my adoptive dad. My biological family, not so much. So when I finally came out as trans, I was living with my mum. And I think I was 17. Is that your biological mum? Yeah. And that didn't go well. I was given three days to leave. And on the third day before my mum left for work, she said, you need to be gone by the time I get back. And so I packed all of my stuff, didn't know where the hell I was going. I think that day I went to, there was a trans youth group, Gendered Intelligence, that I'd been going to, and I just took all my stuff there and went to youth work and said, well, she's asked me to leave, I don't know what to do. I think I stayed with a friend for the night, and basically, long story short, that was a process of being in hostels for over three years until I finally sort of went into private accommodation. And I think for the first year of me being homeless, no contact with my mum. She, like, just didn't care. I know I'm not sort of the only one, unfortunately, to go through that experience, but it's interesting. Again, a lot of sort of the BME trans community, there's a lot of internalised homophobia. Uh, so that makes things very difficult for people. And, I mean, it's really it's kind of a bittersweet story. My mum passed away earlier this year, and she was diagnosed with cancer in January, and she passed away three months later. We were told she had up to a year to live. Well, unfortunately, she died before that but we actually started to mend our relationship it was so complex because I'm from Africa and because she was so embarrassed about my identity which she explicitly said family members in Africa didn't know I transitioned 
and so we're still referring to me as old name, gender expression, blah, blah, blah. That was really difficult. People were saying, send the body back to Africa, we'll deal with it. Basically, I refused to send her home because burying people out there is a lot different. I may not be able to find her plot. And my sister also had gone missing the whole time, so I was basically doing mainly everything by myself here. I was forced to communicate with people there and in a really quick way people were forced to come to terms with my identity. I don't know what I expected but people were supportive of me and like people called me by my name and mispronounced me less times than my mum did here and were just so supportive and I was so surprised by that because you hear all these things like obviously outside of this country you have a luxury of being in this country and being safe to a certain extent but you hear you know people it's illegal in certain places and you can be killed and you can be stoned and all these things can happen to you. But there's not enough stories being told that there are people in the diaspora, in the Caribbean, in Africa that are supportive and do love their children. It's not perfect, but those stories are out there. So it was a bittersweet moment because, unfortunately, we were forced to come together because of my mum getting so ill. But we did, in the Mm -hmm. end. And I'm glad that progress was made. But I was basically the big secret of the family. It's been an interesting journey, but her passing has given me some perspective. In a really sick, twisted way, she was trying her best, but she didn't necessarily have the tools to deal with it, and so she didn't. And so it hasn't been a positive experience, but I'm happy of how far we came. Amazing. Can I ask, has being trans and having this journey and this life affected your view of feminism? How would you define feminism? Oh, he said that he as been he, waiting for that. He said that as he popped his glasses <laughs> on his head. Uh, for me, feminism literally means equality. I'm an intersectional feminist, so I think that also includes gender identity, uh, race, religion, particularly with all the hatred going towards uh, the Muslim and Jewish population at the moment. Um, so for me, feminism would be equality, full stop, brackets, with the knowledge that females... Have different experiences. Have different experiences and are not currently equal. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that white feminism is a massive thing and it's <laughs> feminism for middle-class white women is a real issue with women of colour being silenced and then you've got feminists who are exclusionary of the trans ideology mm-hmm. and really awful to particularly trans women, whilst completely erasing the fact that trans men exist for some reason. So my version of feminism is intersectional equality, but I'm fully aware that other people do not agree. I saw a wonderful moment in one of the women's marches walking down a very, very packed street, and there were some women with a... It was something along the lines of screw white feminism walking along. And a woman, it must have been in about her 40s or 50s, turned around and went, I don't understand. That's so upsetting. Why would you put that on a banner? And one of the girls reacted quite... She was very angered by that comment and started shouting at her. And her other friend came forward and said, this is why, and started explaining. And I saw this woman, I don't know how old she was, but she was definitely of a different generation, just go like, oh, God... I'm so sorry, please, I wish I'd brought this, another banner that said the same thing. And, oh. <laughs> and she looked like she was about to cry. It was just such a beautiful moment. It was, oh, I loved it. There was this just this moment of clarity for everyone and everyone was on the same side and they continued marching. Oh, thank you, middle-aged white woman, because <laughs> let's be honest, our buttholes all clenched a bit when Kate started telling that story because we weren't sure it was going to end well. So, yes, we're not all bad. <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting question. I think... I've always been a feminist, technically speaking. Uh, this sort of discovery of TERFs and, and, and... 
So can I just yes. uh, say TERFs is trans-exclusionary radical feminism. Sometimes it gets thrown around a bit unfairly, but most of the time it means people who are denying the fact that trans women are women. Mm-hmm. A lot of the talk on feminism, from whichever corner it's coming from, is helpful to defining that in a clear way. Um, I haven't been sure whether I could call myself feminist. Huh? Okay, how do I explain that? So, like you said, the, what's the term? A trans-exclusionary radical feminist. There we go. Um, sort of discriminate predominantly against trans women. I know they, not as much, definitely, do exclude against trans men as well, but I just, I'm still doing a lot of research personally. I know I'm obviously definitely for the, the rights of females. I grew up as a black female, so there's something within me that will always be within me to speak on behalf of that community, no matter what my gender expression is. And for women, because I have been brought up with a female experience. I identify with some of some of those struggles, but also recognise some of my privilege now as a male. So I think for me, uh, yeah, I will call myself a feminist. And within my work as a producer, again, trying to be a gatekeeper, I try to, particularly when it comes to casting, is where I try to step in. Yeah, I think it's about supporting each other as well, isn't it? So you're, you're as a male, supporting female voices. Us as cis people, I really want to work more with the trans community. And, you know, I guess I can work with the straight community if they really need me. <laughs> but yeah, it's nice to see everybody helping and enjoying to work with each other. Mm, um, definitely. When we bridge those gaps, it actually, the theatre becomes nicer. I think people think that with these diversity initiatives, everybody hates on quotas, but actually, I think something's going to be inherently more interesting if there are a bunch of different kinds of people on stage. Mm. So it's not like, well, what if this straight white man was the best for the role? Mm, fine, but the best for the production is to not have a bunch of straight white men because all the best stuff I've seen this year, and this year I've seen some of the best theatre in my life, mm-hmm. has been not a bunch of straight white men. So we've talked about your experience as a trans male and a non-heterosexual male and your experience within the church and outside the church, how your race and your family come into that. How do you feel about the term BAME? And the term BAME is black and minority ethnic. Do you think it's useful, flawed, awful, (laughs) all of the above? (laughs) I think it has its pros and it has its cons. The term has allowed black um, minority ethnic people more funding opportunities to create more work about our stories. I think what's interesting though is BME stories and trans stories are kind of operating in in a similar way. It's very negative a lot of the time. And I understand the drama is needed to make the plot exciting, but um, I'd like to see some more positive stories about BME and trans lives. Summer in London that you were in at Mm -hmm. Theatre Royal, Ricky Beadle Blair's show, was so interesting because there was a little bit in it about people's experiences coming out and, and stuff, but with a fully trans cast, it managed to be just a classic silly rom-com with heart it was very silly um but joyfully so and that's really great to see because it could so easily have been here are all my awful stories from my coming out and my coming out and my coming out Mm -hmm. which need to be shared as well because we need to 
get people to empathise, but it's it was so great to see that. And similarly, rom-coms just between two women would be great, or plays that it's just accepted would be great to see. But you're right, that's not where the Oscar noms come, is it? <laughs> that's not where the Olivier's come from. And the negative stories I've seen, the majority, uh, seem to be written by uh, cisgender people, which I find interesting. Whether it's television, so you have things like, for example, Transmedia Watch, who invite groups of trans people to find out more about their experience in a genuine way so that they can convey that into their scripts more accurately and sometimes in a more positive light. The trans character in Hollyoaks a while back now, a few years back, she was really lovely. Before that role sort of went out, she met with us, she asked us genuine questions because she wanted to play the best character she could play. And that came from a genuine place and I think it's great that they've had these sort of initiatives like that that allow script development to portray trans characters on screen or in theatre. But I would like to see trans people being at the beginning of that process as opposed to somewhere at the end. Because a lot of the time I feel going into the audition room as an actor and actually they're seeing you as a script editor. And some of the edits are just like, to be completely honest, are like horrendous. A lot of the time, characters are purposely being mispronounced to prove a point. And a lot of the time, it's not very really clear what that point is. But the fact of the matter is that trans character is at the butt of joke or insult. And it's really frustrating to see. It's really awkward. And I, I just think the, the answer to that is having trans people at the beginning of that process as opposed to the end. That's all about diversity in the workplace, isn't it? Like, it's all very good writing a trans character or a black character or a female character if you're a straight white man. But if you don't have any trans people, black people or women in the room, then people are going to yes, 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 yes it. Mm. And by the time you've actually got one of the people in the room that you've been talking about, it doesn't resemble their experiences at all mm. because it's just a straight white man's version. There's also a problem, which I don't think a lot of people recognise with, LGBT people trying to talk about trans stories, which sometimes, like, well, they're within the community, they know how to write about that, I'll kind of give them the go-ahead, but they don't always, and I think some of the same problems still happen from lesbian, gay, bisexual, pansexual artists um, trying to write for the trans experience. I think, again, why I'm producing is creating more things from the get-go, so initiatives that allow trans writers to develop their craft. We have some questions that we'd like to ask. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. 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 Now, this question is interesting because we're not really asking for an answer with it. It's just an interesting question to pose to people. <laughs> but when, if ever, do you turn off your activism? Ooh. Wow. That is a good question. Okay, so at the beginning of my journey, I felt like I had to fight for everything. I had to fight for black people. To fight for LGBT people, uh, to fight for working class people, uh, to fight for disabled people, and that got really exhausting very quick. The energy it takes to fight is exhausting. Um, it's like emotional labour in a way, isn't it? It is, and I think I, I had a conversation with someone because my mental health was really suffering. When do I need to fight? When do I stop fighting? I just didn't know. I just was always on guard. I always need to have an answer for something. Always need to fight back. The advice given to me is that I'll know when the right time is. So I don't think I can turn it off is the answer to your question because I feel like when I need to, that part of me that needs to just sort of kicks in and and helps. But I think what I'm learning to do is pick my battles. That's a really hard thing to learn. It is. And I think I'll continue learning that for the rest of my life and learning how to fight. Is this a point where I shout? Is this a point where I protest? Is this a point where I, I sit someone down and talk to them like I would talk to a child? Not in a patronizing way, but in a gentle, loving way, is this the way 
do I create a project about this? I think initially I just thought I had to shout and scream at the top of my lungs until people heard me and, and that doesn't always work. And sometimes people don't always listen, so it's not worth the time. And I think that's what I've learned, that's when to fight. If you feel it's worth the time and you feel someone will genuinely listen or take something from this, then fight in the best way for that situation. But if not, don't bother because at the end of the day you'll be left with the pain and the exhaustion and you'll just be burnt out. You, you can't even help yourself when you're burnt out, let alone anyone else. I think it just goes back to that question, do you want to be right or do you want to be useful? And sometimes being useful isn't shouting and sometimes shouting is all you want to do. And <laughs> yeah, sometimes you, do? you just want to be right for right's sake. Just, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, I'm going to say something because it's right mm. and then I'm going to leave and you're going to argue into the abyss for as long as you want and I'm, I'm never going to win this argument mm. but I just want to be right. And I'm right and I leave. And other times, I'm you like... You give people more than they deserve by sitting them down and maybe talk, talking to them yeah. like they're a, a, a child. But that's up to and you that's and that's... very useful, but not always mm. what you want to be doing. I think it's interesting, I was speaking on a Q&A panel for Gendered Intelligence. They're one of the panels, they had like different panels throughout the day, was talking about basically how social media and the internet are being used as a platform for trans activism or expression and a lot of great pioneers of platforms and like you can just reach people in different ways and I think that's amazing but like Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or YouTube I can honestly say there's times when I haven't killed myself because I watch a YouTube channel of someone on the other side of the world that just so happens to be talking about what I'm talking about I'm like wow I'm not alone like the internet is really powerful but along with that the trolls at the bottom the comments um, don't read the comments. Don't read the comments. Sometimes it's helpful to read the comments. Sometimes, as I'm sure you've done with your podcast, like addressing trolls personally, and sometimes just knowing when to leave it alone. So that's been interesting. I'm excited to see how uh, online platforms grow. For trans people, BME people, people to express themselves further. Um, because they have more creative freedom over it as well. Second to last question. Me and Holly are conducting a social experiment. <laughs> We're collecting data. Um, don't think about it too much. <laughs> Don't worry. What's, What's your, your favourite Disney, Disney movie? <sighs> dun, dun, dun. I'm thinking about this more than I should. <laughs> what came to your mind straight away? I was going to say The Lion King, but I'm pretty oh, sure it's not that. Oh, Hamlet. Today with The Lion King. You're the first one that said The Lion King. That's a good shout. Yeah, it's a great movie. I want to be a mighty king. No, 101 Dalmatians. Ooh. Oh, oh, these are yeah. these are interesting answers. Can you give us? There's always a reason behind it. So, Lion King parental issues. Yeah. Uh, Hundred and one oh, Dalmatians. Um, abuse of power, maybe. Oh. The group damn. mentality yeah. coming together maybe. and helping. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think I think we got that. And then we finally like to end on a nice and light note. Uh, so it's called a little bit of sunshine. I've got a bit of sunshine. Theresa May is backing, I think, a bill that would mean it makes it easier for transgender individuals to self-identify rather than going through what can often be some very demeaning processes, uh, very time-consuming processes, whereby you have to bring loads and loads of paperwork and you often have to prove certain surgeries, which, as we've gone through, doesn't make you more or less trans. Mm. Um, so Theresa May like the bastion of liberal thinking she's actually pro-self by d and i've got some trans friends who find it really really exciting so that's something do you have anything like do you think it's getting better do you think the world is getting better apart from america mm -hmm. do you think that 
do I think it's getting better? Can I be completely honest with you? I've kind of stayed away from watching too much news or press about trans people because it's been so negative and again there's certain things I need to do to sort of keep my sanity and part of that has been not watching the news as often. So what I'm seeing still is quite negative however creatively within the industry that I'm working in definitely a lot of change is happening and there's definitely more room more scope for people to tell their stories. Trans people are taking more ownership and not allowing people to determine the life that they're going to live which has kind of been the narrative previously and so that can only be a good thing. Yay! Yay! Plugs, plug, 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 plugs. What is our plug thing? Okay. Are we going to come up with a plug song? Oh, heaven help us if we are. <laughs> Maybe next time. Um, plugs. You go first. We are on Twitter at DiversifyPod or on Instagram. DiversifyPodcast. Yes. You can send just us... just a little follow. No, can you just follow... Hang on. Is it Kamari Romeo? It might have been. Kamari Romeo, I can't say your name now. Um, we also have an email address, ourteamq at gmail.com. If you have stuff to say that is longer than 240 characters, don't know why anybody would. <laughs> and we have a website called wearetheq.com where there's loads of bonus content from the podcast, but also some cool blogs and bits and bobs about other stuff that's generally ticking along nicely. I'm on Twitter at our team Q, our as in we are all one people, team as in there's no I in team, and Q as in the one at the beginning of the word question. <laughs> I try and do it differently every time. Raping the barrel. Yeah. <laughs> and I am on Twitter and Instagram as Kate Lewis Elliot, spelt uh, Lois Eli- Elliot, two L's, two T's. And Lois spelt L O I S, not, not how I've been spelling it on all our online. Pro- I've spelled it wrong like three times in three different ways, but it's all right now. Um, Kamari, <laughs> give us your plugs. Okay, so you can find me online at www. I like that. www.kamariromeo.com, and I'm also on Instagram at Kamari Romeo. We um if you are interested in the poem burn which is the one that you heard at the beginning of this episode we will put the link in the show notes and it's also going to go on the Q website yes and we'll put a couple of other poems up by Kamari too so thank you for being one of our first season guests Kamari thanks for having me can we also put Cruella de Vil from 101 Dalmatians somewhere spot the Cruella de Vil somewhere amongst the poetry <laughs> And we will see you podcast peeps next week on D-R-V-E-R-S-I-F-Y. I completely forgot how to spell it. Thank you for listening. Oh, and a big thank you to the theatre company Tramp who have sponsored our transcriptions. So if you want a transcription, we will be getting them to you ASAP. They can be found at We Are Tramp on Twitter. Fare thee well. I take my leave. <laughs> my presence is expected. Au revoir. Good night. Can I just say, I've Googled it and there is an elephant. There are numerous pictures of elephants with paintbrushes. Holly did not make this up.